This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Graphic displays of abortion are horrific. Pro-life groups often use such images to demonstrate the horror of the procedure. Recently, a student group at the University of Georgia displayed just such images. As a result, the Student Government Association there passed two resolutions essentially prohibiting students from displaying such images, stating that they are distressing and could have emotional or physically triggered members of the UGA community. One resolution also called for organizations to submit information before tabling or advertising events and calls for such organizations to describe their intent with such displays. Now, admittedly, graphic displays of the results of abortion are distressing. That's the point of displaying them. But the Student Government Association says that students have a right not to be offended. But nowhere does the Constitution mention a right not to be offended. Indeed, the First Amendment explicitly protects most forms of speech. The Southeastern Legal Foundation wrote the school, stating that the resolutions raise serious First Amendment questions and cannot go forward. Southeastern Legal Foundation attorney C.C. Howard is my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest. And now, today's Fast Track. Planned Parenthood attorneys told the Missouri Supreme Court yesterday the state's move to cut off funding to its affiliates was constitutionally flawed and violated a state law that allows Medicaid recipients to choose their own provider. The state, meanwhile, argued that the GOP-controlled legislature was clear when, in 2018, it approved a budget language that blocked Medicaid funding from going to any abortion facility and any affiliate or association thereof. Planned Parenthood's attorneys argued that the language runs counter counter to state law that requires the state Medicaid program to pay for patient family planning services, not including most abortions. The seven-member court issued no ruling yesterday. Lower courts have split on this case. The Administrative Hearing Commission sided with the state. Planned Parenthood then appealed to the St. Louis Circuit Court, which sided with Planned Parenthood. Then the state appealed to the Supreme Court. Attorneys representing Heartbeat International filed their answer yesterday following a federal district court's decision to allow the international affiliation of pregnancy help centers to intervene in defense of a North Dakota informed consent statute that the American Medical Association challenged in June. The AMA sued in opposition to the state's efforts to fully inform women considering abortion that it terminates a life of a separate, unique, living human being and that the chemical abortion process may be reversed if treated promptly. Attorneys for Alliance Defending Freedom filed a motion to intervene in the lawsuit on behalf of Heartbeat International, a global network of more than 2,700 pregnancy help organizations, two of which are affiliated pregnancy centers in North Dakota. The Supreme Court on Monday declined to hear a convicted murderer's appeal to receive gender reassignment surgery, leaving in place a lower court's ruling in favor of the Texas prison officials who refused the inmate's procedure. The court rejected the appeal of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling by transgender inmate Vanessa Lynn Gibson, formerly known as Scott Gibson, who claimed that the prison's refusal to grant surgery violates the Constitution's Eighth Amendment, which bans cruel and unusual punishment. 
A sheriff's department in an Alabama town says it will not bow to a left-wing organization's demand that it stops encouraging prayer in response to tragedies on social media. Like many public officials across the country, the Walker County Sheriff's Office commonly invokes references to non-sectarian prayer in public comments about the loss of life, from simply stating our prayers are with an affected family, to asking the community to fall on our knees and pray fervently for mercy and peace. This got the attention of the Freedom from Religion Foundation, an atheist organization dedicated to challenging benign expressions of religiosity at every level of government. On November 26th, the group wrote a letter to Sheriff Nick Smith to, quote, encourage your office to use more inclusive language when posting on social media, unquote. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. No. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. Este é Notícias Luteranas pelo Mundo. This is Roll Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, World Lutheran News Digest, and my guest today is Ms. Cece Howard with the Southeastern Legal Foundation, and we're going to be discussing censorship, among other things. Ms. Howard, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Could you tell me a bit about yourself and also about the Southeastern Legal Foundation? Sure. So I'm an attorney at Southeastern Legal Foundation. We are a national public interest constitutional law firm. We were founded in 1976 by Ed Meese, who went on to become the attorney general under President Reagan. And we are one of many law firms that are part of the freedom-based law movement. So we strive to protect individual rights and liberties from both state and federal government overreach. And the main way we do that is by participating in Supreme Court cases. So we're involved in about 30 Supreme Court cases a year, and our litigation has included uh, property rights, government accountability, free enterprise, um, and a big one for us has been student free speech. 
so what we call our through what we call our 1A project, we help students navigate the kind of muddy waters of their campus speech policies. Uh, often these policies are difficult to find or to understand, and often they just plain infringe on students' rights. So our goal is to guide students through this process and equip them with the tools they need to understand their school policies. And of course, we're also here as a resource to litigate issues if it ever comes to that. Well, you came to my attention uh, through a case that's going on now with the University of Georgia, where the Student Association there apparently has been uh, attacking or at least uh, protesting against a pro-life demonstration where some students had set up a a booth and were showing some photographs uh, of the abortion procedures. This pro-life organization was doing that. And apparently, uh, in regard to that, in response to that, the Student Government Association then condemned graphic images as part of a protest that could have triggering effects, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. and that they might have affected the student's ability to pursue education conduct, research, and otherwise work attended at the institution. Now, the First Amendment really puts the um, limitations on the government, not necessarily on uh, campuses. So what's going on here? And even in talking about the First Amendment, certainly we don't need to protect speech that's not offensive. Yes, you're exactly right. It's it's on the government to protect uh, our speech. It's it's not up to student governments associations to pass resolutions uh, protecting students who are offended by speech. So, like you mentioned, there were two resolutions that were passed, and the first, like you said, described these potential triggering effects on students, used very vague language like that. Um, The displays might have been detrimental to students. The Student Government Association also complained that there was no prior warning of the demonstration, suggesting that students are entitled to be warned before speakers come to campus. And so in that resolution, the Student Government Association resolved that the undergraduate student body was deeply distressed by these methods. So they kind of became the voice for the entire student body. And many students were left feeling like they weren't actually represented by their student government association. And then the second resolution wanted, it requires students or anyone wanting to engage in free speech activities on campus to notify the entire student body ahead of time. So that in and of itself is a problem because it requires students to kind of plan speech and warn people when they want to engage in speech, which again is not something that the First Amendment requires or or permits. But also this resolution was problematic because it requires students to describe their intent behind their planned speech activity. And so there are kind of three main reasons why these resolutions were unconstitutional. And the first is that these resolutions were very vague and overbroad. So under the First Amendment, there are protected forms of speech and unprotected forms of speech. Protected speech is pretty much anything and everything. There are only a few very specific, limited instances where speech is not protected. This is in situations like defamation, when somebody is intentionally spreading false rumors, or um, when you are actively inciting people to violently riot in the streets. That's not protected by the Constitution, but 
pretty much everything else is. So any policy or law that restricts speech, it can't be so broad that it outlaws both unprotected speech and protected speech. And that's exactly what these resolutions did. And uh, the reason why they were so broad is because they were written very vaguely. So kind of going along with this, a law or policy can't be so vague that people don't know what conduct is punishable or what the punishment will be. So, right, you need to know what the harm is and what the consequences will be for doing the harm. It also sounds to me almost like it's a thought crime when they talk about intent. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That, that's kind of the second reason why this was unconstitutional is because the, the requirement that speakers must describe their intent before speaking paves the way for content and viewpoint-based discrimination. So under the First Amendment, a university can't prohibit speech based purely on a speaker's beliefs. You know, a, a college can't say, a communist speaker can't come to campus because we disagree with communism. That violates the Constitution. It also violates the Constitution to prohibit an entire subject of speech. That is content-based discrimination. So a college can't say all political speech is banned. But this requirement that students must describe their intent before speaking is both content and viewpoint-based discrimination because it's asking students why they want to speak, what their motivations are, what their point of view is. That opens the door to the college making a value judgment about what they want to say and whether they should be able to say it. The, the SGA, the Student Government Association, essentially targeted these pro-life students and said, we condemn these actions, this, this point of view and this way of getting your message across, and we disagree with what you have to say, and we don't think you have a right to say it. So that is really the essence of viewpoint-based discrimination. And on top of that, the Student Government Association said basically that students have a right not to be offended, which, as you mentioned earlier, that, that's nowhere in the Constitution. So um, by saying that students have a right not to be offended, the Student Government Association effectively banned all offensive speech, and that is a form of content-based discrimination. So that's the second reason why these policies were so problematic. Well, the entire point of, of uh, the video or the the posters on this thing was to spur conversation and to say yeah this is what's going on and yeah it is gruesome because this is real you know i grew up during the vietnam war and i remember there was a this horrible photograph of a of a young girl who had been struck by napalm and she's running naked down the street screaming in pain and that was a very effective message of what was going on in southeast asia Mm -hmm. Offensive yep. as heck, but, you know, it's true. A lot of life is offensive. Exactly. And this, this is a problem that we're seeing over and over again across the country. I mean, usually it has come from administrators trying to shut down student speech and to create safe spaces and to protect students from being offended or feeling harassed. But more and more often, now we're seeing an increase of almost bullying among students and student governments shouting down um, speakers because they they can't stand the sight of these images. And again, that's not contrary to popular belief. Hate speech, offensive speech, it's all protected by the Constitution. It can't be prohibited through resolutions like this. And the third reason why these resolutions are so problematic are 
the chilling effect that they have on the student body. A chilling effect exists when actions by a university or by the student body cause future potential speakers to essentially self-censor and remain silent. So, so students seeing that these pro-life displays have been shouted down and, and all the backlash they've received, future speakers, future students wanting to engage in similar speech are not going to put up similar displays going forward. So that is a chilling effect, and it's a big problem at schools right now. So by adopting this particular point of view, the, the student government suggested that students going forward are going to get in trouble if they potentially offend another student. So we got phone calls from concerned students saying, look, I don't know what speech is prohibited by this policy. I don't know what I can and cannot say. I do know that almost everything can offend people these days. You know, there, who's to say? It's, a, it's such a value judgment. So since I can't predict what's going to be offensive, I'm just going to keep quiet because my future is on the line and I don't want to risk that. Well, you pointed out a trend that really disturbs me. Uh, obviously, the administrators at the various uh, colleges and universities certainly have an impact and have in the past tried to regulate what was going on. But now it's going down to the students themselves trying to silence other mm -hmm. students. Is this a growing trend now that we're seeing? Yep, it absolutely is. And, you know, the good thing in this particular case, UGA admitted that these government resolutions are not binding on the student body or on the administration. That was their response after we sent this letter. So the good thing here is that these resolutions probably won't go anywhere next semester and, and students won't be punished for failing to comply. But like, like you said, this is happening all over the country and many students don't know how much authority their student government has. Some student governments are doing exactly what UGA did. They're, they're passing intimidating resolutions, even though they don't have the binding authority to do so. But some student governments actually do have the authority to make le legislation that becomes binding on the student body. So we are seeing a rise in this where student government associations are passing these unconstitutional resolutions either instead of or even in addition to university administrators. So it's kind of coming from all sides, and, and yeah, it is a big problem. There is a photo I've seen many times that to me is horribly offensive and yet uh, quite eye-opening. What it is, it was uh, taken on a college campus in Germany in the 1930s. And it shows a bunch of students uh, assisted by some brown shirt stormtroopers having a bonfire of books. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a horrible warning. I mean, this has happened before, and it didn't end well when we start uh, trying to censor speech that we don't like. And frankly, that, I find that frightening, that, that students would do yeah. this. Uh, just recently, uh, there was an instance in Northwestern, where I happen to have attended, where uh, there was a speaker that, uh, Mr. Sessions, I believe it was, uh, and some people just, uh, just disagreed with it, and so they banged on the doors, and they shouted, and they tried to shut it down, and it was covered by the student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern that then apologized for covering it because it inflicted harm on the students who were demonstrating. And as a journalist, that's 
I'm appalled. I am absolutely appalled by that. And yeah. just today, the uh, ruling came down that these students were, including some who had actually struck police officers who were trying to pull them away, have been issued civilian citations. They were fined $150 and must perform five hours of community service. And that means, because the civil it means that there's no criminal record involved. It mm -hmm. seems that increasingly there is no punishment for violating these very basic tenets of our society. Yep, you're absolutely right. There definitely needs to be some more pushback from from students who feel like they're not being protected. We strive through our 1A project to protect students from violations like these and to defend their rights. But as you've mentioned, we, we've seen such a huge decrease in civil discourse around our nation that honestly, students are just lacking basic education about the First Amendment. So through our 1A project, we've made it a primary goal to educate students and educate the public about what the First Amendment says, what kind of speech is protected, what kind of speech is not protected. And the thought is that if students have a better understanding of their rights, they'll be able to engage in civil discourse more effectively. And if problematic resolutions like these come up again, then students themselves can go to their student government or go to their administrators and using the resources we've provided to them, they can say, hey, look, I know you're trying to do your job, but I think this violates the Constitution and here is why. So, you know, litigation is, of course, always an option, but students don't know often that there are so many steps before litigation that can and should be taken, um, that we really need to promote civil discourse and education first and foremost. And through that, hopefully that will effectuate real and lasting change on college campuses. Well, one thing I see increasingly is uh, people stating, especially young people, saying that uh, you know hate speech is not free speech and it is not covered by the First Amendment. And of course, there's always the, def the, the problem of what constitutes hate speech and who defines it. But again, this, mm -hmm. this to me is frightening that these young people are saying, oh, yeah, I don't like this. Therefore, it's not protected by the Constitution. Right, exactly. It's, uh, it's been a well-established principle in our nation that the remedy for offensive speech is always more speech. It, it never goes well if you try to just shout down the speaker. The, the best way to resolve conflicts is talking through them, listening, and hopefully making progress, coming out on the other side with, with a better idea. So, yeah, hate speech is protected by the Constitution, and personally, I hope it stays that way. Of course, I do not condone hateful speech or um, offensive actions, but that's just a part of America, a part of how our nation is so great. So, well, As you pointed out, uh, you wouldn't... Uh try to ban a communist from speaking on campus because you dislike communism. Exactly, exactly. Well, how can students find out what their rights are? How can they find out about your organization? How can they find out what they can do if they perceive that they're being, off not offended, but uh, discriminated against on the basis of their views? Sure. Well, we have um, an Instagram page that students are welcome to follow. It's, or anyone, it's 1a.project.slf, 
We also have a Facebook page devoted to this called The 1A Project at Southeastern Legal Foundation. And finally, we have a website called slfliberty.org. Um, we encourage students to reach out to us if they ever run into any issues on their own campus. We are a nonprofit organization. We uh, run solely by donations. So every uh, representation of students is completely pro bono. We don't charge anything. So again, we, we just care about the outcome. We, we care about preserving the First Amendment, and we are happy to help students however we can. And um, yeah, so we, we look forward to connecting with more students, and we welcome any questions about uh, their campus policies. Well, the name of the organization is the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Are you restricted to geography in terms of what uh, what students and what colleges you will uh, involve yourself with? No, that's a great question. We are actually a national uh, law firm, constitutional law firm, so we have a national reach. We handle uh, federal issues and state issues, so we are not limited in, in geography. Um, the, the geographic term comes from... When we were founded by Ed Meese back in the 70s, he founded these law firms kind of all across the nation. So you might have heard of, you might have heard of the Pacific Legal Foundation out west. There are other groups like that that are kind of based in regional pockets, but we all have national um, reach. Well, where do we go from here? I'm sure that your organization is going to be keeping its ears open and eyes open. So what do you see as next on the horizon for you? Well, um, we're going to continue just trying to educate the public about First Amendment rights. Um, we are kind of rolling out some new programs for students with brochures and flyers and handouts that they can have in their hands so that when they do run into issues, they can talk to their administrators and say, here's the problem with this policy. Again, our goal is to just equip students to stand up for their First Amendment rights and engage in civil discourse. So, we stand by ready to help every step of the way. And the First Amendment does not end at the uh, gates of the university. That is correct. <laughs> it does not. It is the marketplace of ideas. So um, this course is, is and should be very protected on campuses. Well, Ms. Howard, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to discuss this issue with me and with our audience. And uh, wish your organization good luck. There's a lot going on, and we certainly need to be protected from the uh, people who would protect us from ideas they don't like. Absolutely. Thank you. Anytime. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.